HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comté Cheese Association. Comté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at comté-usa.com. That's c-o-m-t-e-usa.com. Welcome to Hannah Howard, writer of her most recent book, Plenty, a memoir of food and family. Also wrote Feast, True Love in and Out of the Kitchen. Kitchen. Yeah. Kitchen. Kitchen. Um, And a BA from Columbia, MFA from Bennington. And flipping great books, great wheels of cheese in Pichelin and Fairway Market. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me um, back. We, we got to talk about Feast, and I'm so excited to talk about the new book with you. Yes, yes. I feel I must mention that even though the book is about women, I... I love your love affair with your husband, Tony. I love that you love that. And I've heard from a few people that that was their favorite part of the book. Um, and it was really, it was really fun writing about him. And I also feel really grateful that he is generous enough to, I mean, I know it can't be easy being married to a writer who writes such personal stories. So for him to let me write about him and us and share it with the world feels really lucky to me. Oh, good. I'm so glad to hear that. Because I I feel like, you, you know, you're right. You're right, because you do write about him a lot. And the other women come and go, but it's mostly about him. Well, I guess that's you know, you know the the subtitle is is a memoir of food and family, and I feel like a big part of this book is about making that decision to create this partnership and family. And so, ever since you know, kind of we made that decision together, I do feel like he's been along. We've been in this in this journey of life together very much. Right, right. Now that first pregnancy was awful. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I wrote about my, um, my miscarriage, um, at about eight and a half weeks and it was really devastating. I think I, I did know miscarriages were common and I knew they happened, but I didn't expect it to happen to me. And when it did happen, I didn't expect it to be quite so emotionally hard. Right. Right. But I love the fact, the way that you put um, food into the whole book. Yeah, I feel like food has been kind of another, right, if Tony is along for me for this journey, this, this, my love of food and kind of discovering my people and my world through food has always been um, a theme of, of what, what I love and what I do and what I want to do in my life and in my writing. Right. And your puppy, Ace. Yes, I don't know if we can hear, but he's saying hello here. He just said hello. Um, <laughs> I, I did hear him. I did hear him. Yes, yes. So he was like one of the really, because um, Tony, my husband, and I had chatted a bunch about getting a, a dog. And then we kind of put that on the back burner when I got pregnant. So getting Ace was kind of the best silver lining of this miscarriage because then all of a sudden I was like, okay, well, we're going to get a dog. And um, we got an amazing dog and he's really like, uh, you know, he's part of the family too. And he makes home feel like home and he brings us a lot of joy. This doggy. Right. Yes, I could tell. Um, So... So I do want to talk about the women in the book. So Wendy, uh, interesting woman, tell me about her. So Wendy, I met on this trip, amazing trip I got to take to um, Bordeaux and Gascony in France. And she is one of the very few women barge pilots. So there's this uh, system of canals through Europe Um and they used to transport goods. And now they are pretty quiet, sleepy places. But there's this amazing network of kind of luxury mini, mini, mini cruises because they just fit like four people or six people. Um, I think the one we were on had six people. Some of them have a few more, but that's around the size. And um Wendy and her husband took a trip on one of these boats and kind of, they were in the retail clothing business and kind of fell in love with it. And it's very much a food and wine experience because they go through these small towns and we visited um, an Armagnac producer and we visited markets and bakeries and, um, and they fell in love with this, this boat and decided to kind of, change everything in their lives. They were, they're Irish, uh, Wendy and her husband, Peter and sell their business and buy a barge. And, um, Wendy's one of the few barge, uh, canal barge captains who's a woman. And I was just so enamored with this whole world that they've created their genuine hospitality. And it's such a cool way to see a place. I'm, 
I'm very much a like go, go, go kind of New York person. And the barges travel at about walking distance. So very slowly and just kind of getting to, you know, walk by this countryside was incredible. Oh, sounds wonderful. Sounds absolutely wonderful. It really was. Now, what did she do for you uh, food-wise? So there was also a chef on the on the boat. There was a couple. I guess they ha- they like to hire couples because they're such tight quarters that if they're not a couple, that they just have to become very friendly because there's not very much room. Um, so there was a young couple, and there was a young a young man and his girlfriend who were Australian and. He was hoping to open up his own restaurant and he was like incredibly talented chef and would cook things like from the region. And I just remember the amazing foie gras we had and the cheeses were, were incredible. And a lot of them were cheeses that I was familiar with, but the, the kind of version from the little like cheese shop in this tiny town felt different. You know, and who knows how different the actual cheese was and how much it was about being in this gorgeous place. But it was such a cool experience. And we had a cheese plate every day. And that was definitely a highlight, maybe a highlight of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, you said something about the cheese being better there because it's not um, pasteurized. Right. I mean, that is true, too, that we only get in the U.S. here, um, right, the the cheeses that are imported have to be aged for at least, I just had like a brain, a brain, 60, is it 60 days or 90 days? I thought it was 60 days or 90 days. I think it's 90 days. Um, Right. But they have to be significantly aged, right? So we don't get those like young, um, well, one of my favorite cold categories is like, the ooey gooey kind of a sort of stinky cheeses. And we don't get those um, with raw milk here in the U S. So right. for sure, for sure. They like really, uh, these cheeses were just kind of a whole explosion of flavor experience. And, uh, you know, they brought me to another place. They were, they were an incredible um, the, just the depth and the, there's like so much going on in these cheeses. Okay. Um, that's what I thought. And uh, I've had those cheeses in France as well. They're, they're mm-hmm. ridiculously delicious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, Tammy, tell me about Tammy. Tammy is definitely, I mean, all of the women I wrote about, I admire Um, Tammy is a restaurateur and sommelier, and she uh, owns a restaurant, a beautiful restaurant called Colonia Verde in Fort Greene, near where I live in Brooklyn. And she, she and her husband are also opening up a new restaurant in Manhattan. I think just this is like, was she just shared this news with me a few, like a few weeks ago. So this is still in the progress, but I just loved meeting this like local to me woman she invited me in to her restaurant she invited me to attend a pre-shift wine tasting with her staff 
and her her passion and her genuineness and her warmth to just really spoke to me. I fell in love with her restaurants and with her. And she's also um, a mom of two small kids. And so as I was, as I am embarking on this journey of motherhood, it was so cool to meet um, restaurant work is notoriously hard to do with a family. And it was so cool to meet someone who is managing to do it with so much grace. Oh, good. Good. That's great. Um, now tell me about Mahal. Am I saying your name right? Yes. Yes, that's right. Mahal runs a catering business um, out of Long Island City in Queens called Eat Off Feet. And it was inspired by just she was in, she's, um, Mahal is from Lebanon and she came to the U.S. to New York City for graduate school. And she couldn't find, like, the grocery store hummus that she was buying was totally disappointing. And she wasn't a big cook, but she asked her grandma, like, I need to, I need your hummus recipe because I am <laughs> really disappointed. You know, she missed the hummus that she was used to and um, started to make some hummus and then um, ended up building out this amazing company that cooks and highlights and celebrates food from refugee chefs who have left countries around the world. So there's a, a chef from Iraq, there's an Afghani, Afghani chef, there's a Somali chef. I think there's chefs from something like 14 different countries. And they all cook food inspired by where they come from, but of course with their own spin. And their food is really good. It's super delicious. I um, Right before the world shut down for the pandemic, they catered my baby shower. And everyone was like, this food is crazy good. Um, and they really had to pivot during the pandemic. And, and you know, because they were all about um, these big events. And now they do all kinds of like meal packages. And they have a new cookbook out that you should, everyone should definitely check out. Um, and they're really an amazing group of people. That's great. Well, it's time for a break. Uh, we'll take a little break right now. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Conte Cheese Association. Conte Cheese Association represents the Conte PDO, Conte Protected Designation of Origin in the USA. Conte is a raw milk cooked pressed cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or fruitiers. This milk must be transformed into Conte within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk, ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of Conte. Conte takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. After eight months of aging by dedicated affineurs on average, each wheel of Conte is graded and shipped to market. 
No Wheel of Conte is the same. Its flavors speak to the pastures where the cows grazed, the season in which it was made, the particular craftsmanship of the cheesemaker, and the time spent in the aging cellar. Therefore, every Wheel of Conte is unique. Learn more about Conte, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Conte-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E-USA.com. So we're back um, after our short break. Uh, Allison, I didn't realize she got off to such a slow start finding herself. I know her. Yes. So, yeah, Allison... Cooper is definitely a cheese world hero. Um, she's one of the founders of Vermont Creamery. But yeah, she didn't. I, I didn't know that either. I had always kind of looked. I had always looked up to her. So to hear that she really floundered, just like most, I feel like just most young people do, trying to figure out what they want to do with their lives, what, where they want to be. Um, she, yeah, she. It took her a little while to get through college. She um, thought she wanted to go to, to China and then decided against it. And um, but, but one of her kind of journeys brought her to a, far, a, a goat farm in Brittany in France. And she loved goat cheese before there was really such a thing available to the vast, vast majority of Americans. And she really helped helped goat cheese become a thing that people know and love. And she really helped the artisanal cheese revolution here happen. And it just, it was like a really slow burn. And I think just such an example of she wasn't like following a trend or she was following her heart and following her, what she loved. I know it was quite amazing to read about her story. And I just find her such a like warm, down-to-earth person, which is always cool to find out about someone you look up to so much. Yes, yes, I agree. And, and she strikes me as that way from afar, uh, a cool, down-to-earth person. Definitely. Um, so now, what, uh, what about Haley Welsh? So I met Haley a few years ago uh, when my husband and I found our apartment or we found a neighborhood first in Brooklyn where we wanted to live. Um, and then we found an apartment and she owned the coffee shop next door and was just such a welcoming, wonderful presence um, as we were shifting our lives and relocating from the upper, upper west side to Brooklyn um, and she made the place really feel like home. And she just was this kind of light in my, in my day, just, you know, we'd have a little conversation when I was walking the dog or I'd stop by for a few minutes and grab a coffee. And, um, I got to know her and I, um, loved talking to her and learning about her story. She's worked as a chef and, um, just working as a barista really captured something about her. She was really great at it. And she loved pe bringing people this like little, little bit of something good in their day, whether it was a really good day or a really hard day. And I, she really did that for me. 
and I really grew to appreciate it. And it's interesting because since the book came out, Haley ended up selling what was Cafe Eloise. It's now called Cafe Aura. She sold it to her friend, Alicia, who was a barista. And um, she's really kept like the, the spirit going and it's still someplace that I love. And, and, you know, since then she's like hosted jazz there and clothing stops, clothing swaps and um, kept this like really happy hub of the community alive. So it's cool to see. I really do miss Haley, but I feel like her legacy still moves on, lives on, even though she's uh, now on the West Coast. Now, was she the one who was trying to have a baby? She was trying to have a baby. Um, I think she took a break trying to have a baby during the pandemic for a while. And I, I'm not sure. I, 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 am, I owe her a chat. So I don't know whether that's changed now and whether she and her wife are trying again or if they're thinking differently. But that was something that we really shared because I was trying to have a baby and then I was pregnant when she was trying to get pregnant. And so it was just nice to talk about this weird uh, territory of like fertility and uh, pregnancy and, and all the waiting that pregnancy entails. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, it does. So you are pregnant again. I am indeed. Yes. I am due with baby number two on Thanksgiving, which I love that that's my due date because one of my favorite holidays and um, I'm starting to feel really excited and also also nervous too because just such a big life change, but I'm also very excited. Oh, good. Good, good, good. So um, now, wait, uh, could you tell me about Paola? Paola? Paola um, was another woman from the book who I met. Um, I actually met her through her online cooking classes that she teach and I feel teaches and I feel like she was ahead of the time teaching these classes online before the pandemic now when pretty much everything moved online um and I was a little bit skeptical because I thought first of all I already think of myself as a very good cook and second of all I thought mm, I don't know if I want to learn cooking through my laptop um, but actually, I not only had an incredible experience with her and learned a lot of new things, I also made a new friend and um, we decided to go together to this conference called the Parabere Forum um, that happens in a different city every year of women in the food industry. We went to Oslo together and I met her and I met her family. And then I traveled a few months later, maybe about a year later to see her where she lives outside of Milan and she hosted Tony and I, and she's just been um, an amazing friend and amazing fellow traveler in this world of food. Oh, excellent. Now what about um, Janice? So Janice, Janice Addison. Yes. Janice is like the first, <laughs> the first friend I think I wrote about. And she was one of the first women I bonded with in our, just working in restaurants together. She was a young chef. I, we worked together at Casa Lula. Um, she's in Wine Bar, which is reopening, by the way, in Hall's Kitchen, which is a wonderful place. And um, we just kind of hit it off. And 
I was still in college when I worked there and she had recently graduated from culinary school. So we were really young and kind of figuring out so much and navigating this like really intense, uh, restaurant life. And, um, I wrote about our trip together to Orcas Island and kind of figuring out like some of the beautiful ways that food connects us and also some of the more difficult things. She came from a seventh day Adventist Adventist, um, background. So her life as a chef was really different from her family who didn't eat meat, didn't drink wine, didn't um, really believe in fun in a way. I don't know if that's like unfair to say, but I think she would have said something similar. So it was just like a, you know, for her food was like really a rebellion in a way, even though it was completely like, it was completely what she loved. And, um, I think it really reminded me that like food, you know, it's often celebrated for all the joy that it can bring, but it also can be challenging and it can bring up like really rocky terrain and difficult relationships. And I guess like most things in life, just be really multifaceted, which involves the good and the difficult. Uh huh. Now, um, what else would you like to talk about? We've run out. <laughs> um, yeah, you asked, I feel like you asked about the women in the book. I think, um, when I first started writing the book, I was thinking more about kind of highlighting these like very famous women in the food world. And then as I got more into it, I was really more interested in people like in the trenches doing this hard, sometimes thankless, sometimes very satisfying work of crafting cheese and, and buying wine and teaching people how to cook and I just was completely, especially through this last year and a half, I've just been completely amazed and inspired by their resilience, by their lack of, you know, it's been a tough time for almost everyone. And these women have not been full of like self pity or anything. They've been like, do it, use like channeling all of their creativity and resources and like doing what they can. And it's just been such a, inspiring gift to get to know these people in the book yes i agree i i totally enjoyed your book by the way thank you i um i really read it i read it over i read it this morning (laughs) i really enjoyed it thank you diane that means a lot to me it really does because it's also a wild thing to like just spend so much time writing this book and then you just put it out there into the world and who knows what can happen so to hear that just makes it feel really it really makes my day oh good um so uh i'm wondering what else we should talk about because you you used up my my uh lengthy questions to <laughs> um I don't know it's your show <laughs> I'm not going to talk about anything um I think I'll say like a quick a quick thing because I wrote you know in my first book about struggling with an eating disorder and then I wrote in this book about miscarriage and 
I feel like both of those things were kind of tough experiences to navigate. Um, yeah. And people have said like, what, you know, like, why do you, I wondered if you wanted to talk about that. Yeah, I kind of do because I feel like it's definitely hard. It was in my, in my experience, I can only talk from my own experience. It was hard to write about both of those things, but it's so cool to be able to take something that feels like a painful, emotional, emotional, yeah, just like rocky, tough experience. And then if I can turn it into something that maybe helps someone else that somebody relates to, even that just like kind of resonates, it feels like it's, uh, some sort of alchemy. Like, I don't know. It makes for me, it makes it feel like it wasn't all for naught anyway. Um, so I feel really lucky that I can do that even when it's really hard. So I just want to like, whatever people are going through, just that reminder that you're not, alone. I feel like that's been something that I keep needing to hear myself. And it's nice to be able to hopefully remind or, or let people know that through my work. That's great. That's a a very nice thing to say. It's very true. Well, and, uh, I, I feel like you're very sincere. I am sincere. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, um, back to the topics. Uh, resilience. What do you have to say about resilience? I think every... I mean, life gives us like, I think I was going to say that I think women in in the food world have all of these challenges. You know, it's a typically male dominated industry. It's a really tough industry that doesn't always extend um, benefits or um, the best pay or even the best environment to its people. And so I feel like these women that I wrote about are kind of carving out a new way. They see things in a new way and it's, it's pretty, it's pretty cool to see that sort of resilience because yeah, there, there's so, there's so much from, from this, from this pandemic year to um, what, what these women have gone through in their work and in their lives has been like really hard, but um I, I think it's maybe like an oversimplification just to say that they've like persevered, but, but they have, but they have, and that's part of it for sure. And sometimes yeah. that also means like Paula worked in a Michelin star restaurant for many years. And part of her persevere or her resilience was saying, like, I still want to cook and I want to be around food, but this is not the right environment for me and carving out her own, little niche that's been able to preserve what she loves, but like she now has control of her work environment. So I feel like there's lots of ways to be resilient in this industry and beyond. Mm -hmm. Now, um, what, what do you have to say about uh, childbirth? Um, (laughs) That's such a big question. I, 
Yeah, I think there were a lot of things that were hard about. It was definitely different than I thought it was going to be. Um, I had planned to give birth in Brooklyn and then um, New York or some of hospitals in New York said that uh, partners were no longer allowed in the um, hospital. So you had to give birth alone. And then I frantically started to call doctors in New Jersey where my parents live and we found someone. And so everything was kind of different to what I had planned and, and including the birth itself, right? I had this vision for an unmedicated birth and I ended up having an emergency C-section, which was like not, not at all what I wanted or intended. And I think maybe that's like the kind of lesson that even though it wasn't what I envisioned for myself at all, it was an incredible experience and I re it's been, it's been a lot though. Like I feel like it's been taken a while to process because so much in those early days is just kind of getting through one day at a time, figuring out how to take care of a baby, figuring out how to be a mother, uh, recovering from surgery and birth and all of that. But with time, I feel like I've started to process like just this, I guess, like other things, this mixed bag of like incredible pain and incredible joy. And definitely the joy has won out. And it's been like the biggest pleasure of my life watching this little girl grow up for sure. Now, do you know what you're having this time? I don't know. It's going to be a surprise. Oh, good. Yeah. I like surprises. I like surprises too. And I feel like we don't get that many happy surprises. So might as well <laughs> lean into it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so no mistakes uh, along the way. Mistakes. Do you mean like a pregnancy loss? No, no. A, a blurting out of the sex. Oh, <laughs> no, no. They're very careful. Even at the ultrasound, they said, okay, turn away now. <laughs> So, um, oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. I guess the doctors do, the doctors do now, but they've been very good at keeping, keeping the secret alive. And where are you having this one? We're actually, so one of the, one of the things that's come out of the pandemic is that we really have been enjoying spending time. I'm, I'm talking now from, from Frenchtown, New Jersey, this little town on the Delaware river where my parents lived. And um, so we ended up kind of on a whim buying a house here and we're going to have the baby here with the same place that we, that I had Simone. So, Oh, there you good. go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. And Simone just started um, preschool here in Frenchtown. So lots of exciting okay. things unfolding for us. Oh, now what, how old is she? She is 17 months old. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So you start preschool early. Yeah. Well, this place officially starts at 18 months, but um, she, she's they just close enough, I guess. And she's doing, it's only been a week, one week and one day, but so far she's doing great. I'm very proud of her. Oh, good. Good, good, good. So, um, okay. So uh, I guess we've come to the end of our rope. Um, I love talking to you. I, I 
you know, I was looking forward to this interview particularly, and uh, I, you know, it's gone great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was a joy to get to talk to you. Yes. Okay. Hannah Howard, whose book is Plenty, A Memoir of Food and Family, and whose other book is Feast, True Love, In and Out of the Kitchen. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you, Diane. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.